What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 16 of the Holy City Hoops podcast. Tommy Glasgow here, as always. It's good to be back home. I am back from All-Star Weekend in Charlotte. Had a great time down there, and my special thanks to Cullen and Joe for holding down the fort on Holy City Hoops for the weekend. I got to meet Kemba Walker briefly. I saw Kevin Garnett at a footlocker in the mall, which was cool. I had awkward eye contact with Wolf Blitzer outside of the Spectrum Center, which made me uncomfortable. But I am back home now. Didn't get to see the Hofstra and Northeastern games live, but I did catch up on both those games to prepare for this episode. Kind of different watching the games, having already known the results. Uh, gives you a little bit of a different perspective when you watch it that way. And we'll talk about that with my guest this week. One of the two people I just mentioned, he was in charge of the Holy City Hoops Twitter account in my absence, Joe Wright. If you're on Twitter, you know Joe. He's a huge CFC basketball fan. He's a big sports fan in general. He came on. We had to start by talking about Grant Riller. Grant's scoring prowess kind of deserved its own time slot this episode. When you break the CFC single-game scoring record, you deserve extra time on this podcast. Then we follow it up with a more in-depth breakdown of both the Hofstra and Northeastern games. And toward the end of the episode, we go around the CAA and go pretty in-depth on a subject that's near and dear to Joe and I, as well as a few other folks around the CAA, and that is the conference's broadcast deal. You know, with... TV rights kind of being in the news with conference tournaments coming up. It kind of feels like the CAA is getting the short end of the stick here. So Joe and I spend a couple minutes talking about that and uh, had a really good conversation about what the ideal package might look like for CFC and why it feels like the conference is not getting the coverage that it probably deserves given the players and the teams. Before we begin, though, as always, I will remind you to subscribe to this podcast. Check us out on your favorite social media channels. We're on all the big ones. MySpace, Vine, Yelp, AltaVista, wherever you consume your media. But lots to get to today. So here's me and Joe Wright on the Holy City Hoops podcast. Very excited to bring in my guest this week. You know him on Twitter as at SCTV Man. He's our resident bracketologist, CFC class of 2015, big Cougar basketball fan. Joe Wright, what's going on, man? I'm so glad to be with you today. I mean, this has been an honor to listen to most of these episodes, and it's been a very good podcast, and you've done a good job with this. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. You can't see. Thanks, man. Well, I appreciate you holding it down on the Holy City Hoops Twitter account this week. I could not catch these games live, but I'm all caught up now. Before we even get into the games, though, Hofstra and Northeastern, I wanted to start with you with Grant Riller. I think you were also in attendance when the CFC single-game scoring mark was set. I know I was there when Gowdalock hit it against Dayton. But you were there for both those games. What did you think overall of uh, Grant Riller hitting 43? against Hofstra on Thursday. It was crazy. I mean, he, it just came out of nowhere. I mean, he was just hitting shots left and right in the second half, and he had such a good um, end to that, but 43 points, 17 made shots, and four, only four threes. So he 
didn't even he made most of his shots from inside. That was really good for him. Yeah, 17 for 25, 13 for 17 from two. So he had he had 26 points just off two pointers, which is insane. Uh, and like you just mentioned, four for eight from three, five for five from the line. He also added in six assists, only turned it over three times. Do you think? I mean, is there any shine that kind of comes off that when it's in a loss? Or do you just think, you know, 43 points is 43 points. It's amazing regardless. Yeah, he set the scoring record for the school in uh, D1 games, but a little bit because, I mean, there was a huge game, the Hopster game, and they needed to get, if they had any chance to be first place, it probably wouldn't happen, but any chance they had to get that win. But still, great accomplishment for Riller. And now... Am I correct? Were you at that Gaudelock game in the NIT when he hit 39? Yes, I was. That was um, I was in the student section. I mean, it was the Tuesday. I think it was the Tuesday, the first time they had the first four. And I remember ESPN was televising the game with Brad Nestler and Jimmy Dykes. And that was a very exciting atmosphere. A lot of people got to see TD Arena for the first time that night. Yeah. Yeah, so I was in the student section as well. We must have been uh, not too far from each other. But, yeah, I mean, that game, I just remember Gowdalock being so zoned in and everything running through him, and we were just counting the points as, as they started to add up. Mm-hmm. And it, the Grant Reeler performance kind of felt the same. You could, I mean, people started, it was a good crowd on Thursday. People were standing up. You could just feel the energy in TD Arena kind of rallying behind him as he tried to kind of will us back to a victory, and... I mean, did you see any similarities between the Gowlock performance and the Riller one from a like a atmosphere? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, he's more of an inside shooter, or Gowlock was just drilling him from outside three point land. But I mean, even Scott Eisberg, I saw a tweet from him that he never seen somebody go off for forty three points in a loss like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's I, I feel like we often brush over Riller a little too much when at least on the podcast when it's like, oh, well, you know, Riller had 25. He did his thing. Let's talk about people who kind of came out of nowhere. What he's doing is insane on any level. And when somebody has 33 on the Saturday game and you're talking about them cooling off from the game before, it's just mind-boggling. And I I just wanted to start up front by saying that Grant Riller is an insane talent. We are so fortunate to have him at CFC. And the games this weekend were just kind of representative of that. Yes, they were. I mean, they were so he's such he was a star from those two games alone. I mean, thirty-eight points a game against two, the two top teams in the league. And that's pretty pretty good for all, all the scouts that were also watching the game on Thursday. There's like at least 10 scouts. Did you overhear any uh, scouts' takes? No, I didn't. I mean, I was sitting up and eighth row up but i didn't hear i saw i saw a couple scouts but i didn't see like any other like because they're down on the floor well i'm i'm sure they they came away impressed so riller um very deservingly wins caa co-player of the week uh the only reason it's co-player of the week is because nathan knight averaged 37 this week which is also crazy shout out nathan knight but uh it was good to see somebody pry that away from justin wright foreman and uh, Grant Riller, again, certainly deserving. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Both are deserving of Player of the Week honor. So let's talk about the game itself. Again, 
Valentine's Day matchup, Thursday nights, number one team in the conference versus the defending champs in the city where the CAA tournament is going to be played. Uh, it seemed like both teams kind of felt that pressure in the beginning. The game started off a little slow. Uh, both teams were missing shots. Yeah, they definitely. This was, I, I got to say, when I checked in on the results of the game, this is not the box score I was expecting. What about you? No, I wasn't expecting. I was expecting maybe a game in like the 70s, low to mid 70s, maybe upper 70s. I mean, it was insane to see because you don't see many the games in TV arena that had even gotten that high in the score scorebook have the pizza deals for 90 points for free pizza. And they reached 95 and they didn't even win the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the damn pizza. Um, yeah. No, it, it it didn't even start off that crazy. I, the score at the half was what? 43-35, which you figure yeah, is like, oh. Yeah, you're like, oh, maybe this ends up being in the 70s. 99, I mean, an Earl Grant defense allowing 99 is pretty insane. The, the season high that the Cougars had given up to an offense before this this season was 86, and that was at Hofstra. So obviously this team can score, and, and the Cougar defense has issues. Are we upset that the Cougar defense allowed 99 points, or are we happy that the Cougar offense came alive to score 95? Yeah, up, I think I'm more a little upset because, I mean, 99 points, that's not like Earl Grant defense I mean he's he's a defensive coach and that's not his style of play to allow that many points in a game in my opinion yeah that was the sentiment I think Riller Brantley and coach Grant all had after the game was hey we don't win a lot of games in the 90s and (laughs) this is not our style of play we wish we had slowed it down a little bit what do you think got the Cougars sort of out of their tempo where they're comfortable just that um, the player, I mean, that Taylor guy that they have in the, the center, he's much better. He's better fundamentally than that Gangusti's last year. I mean, he could do more. And also, you know, Jay, Justin Wright Foreman gotten much better over the offseason and Pemberton, too. They've done a lot. They did a lot of work over the offseason because they knew CMC was going to be the team that was going to be the hunted. We should say that, I mean, we mentioned Riller getting the eyes of scouts, but the scouts were there to see a couple players. And I would say that uh, Riller, Brantley, Pemberton, and Wright Foreman all lived up to kind of their NBA billing because Riller and Brantley combined for 68 points, which in many games is enough for CFC to win on its own. And then you add in 30 for Justin Wright Foreman and 25 for Pemberton. You have four guys who, who look like they could play in the NBA. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so many... With all the mid, all the people, their scouts, they're coming from Charlotte, and they'll figure to make a pit stop in Charleston, and they saw probably one of the best basketball games that have been played at TD Arena. That's true. It must be nice to be a scout, have to go to Charlotte anyway for the All Star game, and be like, eh, I'm gonna go down to Charleston, get some good food, and then I'll drive up to Charlotte <laughs> tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Must be nice. Yep. So. Hofstra plays that zone defense, and for the most part, I thought Charleston handled it pretty well. I mean, they did, again, score 95 points. I have a bit of a theory that Charleston was kind of pushing the tempo so that they wouldn't have to play a set defense because there there has been times where they've struggled against a zone defense. 
am I crazy? What, what did you think of how the Cougars played that Hofstra D? No, you're not crazy. I mean, I heard um, the defense was pretty um, – They style they run is the same as it's gotten better. Hofstra's defense has gotten much better from what the last year and two years ago and that's how they led the six, did their 16-game winning streak because of great defense. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it's better than it has been. That was sort of – that was always their Achilles heel the past couple of years and certainly um, toward the tail end of last season was – not having the defense to kind of keep up with their offense. Yes, that's correct. So I still think the the Charleston defensive strategy going in, or at least according to Grant after the game, was stop them from hitting layups, and if they kick it out, just run out, contest it as much as you can. But it seemed like Hofstra hit a ton of contested shots, and Justin Wright-Foreman and Eli Pemberton are really good scorers. Is that is that defensive strategy good enough? Is that too vanilla to just hope that a team, a good shooting team, misses contested shots? Or, I mean, would you have liked the Cougars to approach that assignment any differently? I think, I mean, Wright Foreman and Pemberton, I mean, they're such good shooters. I mean, but all it took was from foul trouble, but Riller had two fouls for a lot of the first half, I think, I think so. I and mean, it was tougher for the Cougars, but then... And missed the shot, make the shots. Right Foreman was five for nine from three. Pemberton three for five. They made thirteen overall, so it wasn't just him. And Coburn made four. So, a lot of free points at the free throw line as well. I think Hofstra was twenty six for thirty from the line, which is just, I mean, if you're trying to keep teams under sixty, and you give them thirty at the line, that's. Uh, not a good recipe. Yeah, we made 15 out of 16, but when they get 14 more three throws, that was that's the difference in the ball game right there. I think we fouled the three-point shooter at least twice from from what I remember as well. Yeah, I think I recall it was in the second half too. I mean, it was twice in like a minute or two, I think I remember. So, I don't know. I mean, that that offense dices up a lot of opponents. Obviously, it's done this to Charleston twice now, once up there and once down here. But to focus on, you know, the glass half full approach, Charleston did score 95 points. And again, Brantley and Riller were guys that were leaned on heavily for that. And there was a comeback in this game. So Charleston was down as much as 23. 24, I think it was. 24, 24, excuse me. So they, I think, I think, so it's a two point game or a one point game actually with about 17 minutes to go. And then from there until about the 10 minute mark, Hofstra goes on this run where it seemed like they were getting to the line on the fast break or hitting a three on like every possession. It was like a 17 0 run at one time. It was, it was 62 57 at 14 25. And they got 17 nothing, 17 points in like three minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, it's see, this team can score. Again, I mean, I, I I think a lot of people came away very impressed by Hofstra. And it's it was one of those games where you're like, ah, they hit another three. And then you look up, the, up at the scoreboard, and suddenly it's like a 17, 20-point deficit. And you're like, oh, my God, that just happened so quickly. And the, the margin of error, if you go on a scoring drought like CFC tends to do, it might only be a three-minute drought. But they can score 17 points. Uh, Hofstra can score 17 points in that amount of time. It's just a lot of pressure to put on your defense. Yeah, way too much. I mean, they almost 
and then they were down um, 14 with like five minutes to go, 5.18 to go, and then, then they got the comeback, but I mean, it was just too little, too late. Yeah, let's talk about the comeback. I think it's when they're down 23 or 24. It starts off with Galloway hitting back-to-back threes, which mm-hmm. certainly helped. Then Riller kind of gets going again after he had kind of missed, uh, you know, like a long jumper. I think he had missed a three or turned it over. Brantley has that spin and dunk, which I think gave Everett German and Danny Johnson an aneurysm on <laughs> on the sideline. Like, I, I know you weren't li- able to listen to it because you were there, but those guys just about fell out of their chair when Drell Brantley pulled out the spin move. But instead of a layup, he dunked it on Jaquiel Taylor. That certainly got the crowd going and... It was fun. It was fun to see them put that run together. Yes, it was in the arena. I mean, it got really loud. I mean, for being, um, there wasn't a capacity crowd. I mean, they got very in, much into the game that that run. I thought it was a good crowd. I mean, yeah, I, I know it wasn't a sellout, but I, from just watching it again, it it seemed loud. It seemed like people were engaged. I'm I'm very happy with that crowd for a Thursday night Valentine's Day game. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, they. So much going on, and they still drew 4,000-plus people. Yeah, that's awesome. So the Cougars cut it to, like, 12. I think it stayed around 11, 10, 11, 12 until about the two-minute mark. But too many missed opportunities for the for the Cougs down the stretch. You had that Jalen Richard missed layup, the jump ball that Zepp, that counted as a turnover for Zepp. Uh Galloway, I thought, I mean, the defense in general, I thought down the stretch was really, really solid. Mm-hmm. Brevin Galloway plays great defense on right foreman and forces a bad miss, and Hofstra gets the rebound or gets the offensive rebound and, and runs out some more clock. Just some bad breaks for the Cougars, but uh, again, a, a pretty spirited comeback by them. Yes, it was. It was a great comeback. I mean, they were in close. I mean, it was like it was five with under 30 seconds to go, but then. And they called the, I think they was an intentional foul on McManus. And then they, and that was the ball game pretty much. So just again, some, some bad breaks and just like going on a scoring drought can be pretty damning for, uh, against a team like this. Things can snowball pretty quickly and uh, Hofstra gets enough opportunities to kind of hang on for this win. <clears throat> I wanted to talk to you about the bench because the bench for a long time, these past couple games, and certainly during that home four-game streak a couple weeks ago, was such an asset for the for the Cougs uh, when they were averaging like 25 points a game. Not much bench bench scoring in this Hofstra contest. Um, Miller goes scoreless, only plays 11 minutes. McManus goes scoreless. What do you think is behind the bench kind of struggling in this game? Mm, just the bench. I mean, they didn't do much. I mean, Jasper made a made a couple a couple three-pointers, but that was when Richard made two free throws, and that was it. I mean, that's not that's not, yeah. not, not going to do it, even against a team like Hofstra with a very small bench where they have seven or eight guys. Yeah, they, they play a short rotation as well. And I think we've talked about it on CFC fans. That can be good. I mean, that, that keeps you in rhythm offensively, but the obvious downside is the conference tournament when you kind of need that depth. Green three. Yeah, so Pointer and Harris combined for eight points, not their best games. And yeah, aside from a couple of Richard free throws and uh, some baskets made by Zepp, 
not much support for Jarrell and Grant, who were putting on some fireworks themselves, but not getting, maybe not getting enough from from the supporting yeah, cast. They, they didn't. They needed more for, in order to get come away with the win there. Anything else from this game that you want to touch on? I think we're good. Just to close out the Hofstra game. Obviously, it would have been nice to to get a win against Hofstra in the regular season. They sweep Charleston 2-0. Could always match up with them in the CAA tournament, but Hofstra is a really, really good team. Uh, Obviously, the class of the CAA right now. Charleston then moves on and plays Northeastern, the number two team in the standings. Charleston is third, and it was good to get a split this weekend and take down Northeastern. It is vital to get the split this weekend, I mean, because... You go in, if you lose two in a row, then you got William and Mary, who's always tough. I mean, they could fall all the way, not even have a good chance of being in third place. Instead, they're in third place. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. they're pretty locked in, and we'll, we'll talk about the updated standings uh, in a minute. But Northeastern, they're back in Charleston after that championship game that they lost in overtime. And this was first first overtime game of the year. Is that is that right, Joe? I was... Surprised to hear that when I when I heard it on the broadcast. That's correct. I mean, the no, no other game went to overtime this year. I mean, pretty incredible when you consider how many close endings they've been in. Yeah, how I was like, how is that possible? But yeah, this is this was the, the first overtime game of the whole year for the Cougs. I think it was the fourth for Northeastern. So how fitting that Charleston plays Northeastern again. Cam Johnson and Joe Cheely are on the floor. Game goes to overtime, very similar to the last matchup or last year's matchup between these two teams. And again, Riller and Brantley, two really solid games. Riller goes for 33. Brantley has a nice double-double with 27 and 11. Yep, definitely. I mean, they both also from the free throw line, I mean, Riller made 8 out of 8. Brantley made 9 out of 10. That's key, key points that they that they needed I have another surprising stat that I came across. Did Northeastern really hit 10 threes in the first half against Charleston? Yes, they did. How is that? They had a bunch of, I think they had six different players that made um, three pointers, and they only played um, eight players. That's right. We should mention that Northeastern is pretty thin right now. I think they only had seven against UNCW. Just uh, between, I think, some sickness issues some health issues some injuries thin northeastern team so you hope that charleston can kind of take advantage of that and it seemed like they did because this northeastern team seemed to kind of uh run out of steam toward the end of the game yeah correct they ran out of gas and i mean the end and in overtime especially i mean they were not the, the energy from the fans were very noticeable that they were they were taking taking bad shots that they weren't taking earlier in the game. Northeastern was the the first half was pretty close. It actually looked like it was going to be a thirty eight to thirty three half before Marquise Pointer hits a shot, basically from the logo, uh, which was much needed. He had a he had a nice bounce back game, I thought, in this game. Hit a couple big shots. Yeah, he had a very good, very good. The end, especially in the overtime, he had that. He had that three-pointer, which was very key, just like last year in the finals when he um, willed him to win. It's something about playing Northeastern, I guess, for that guy, because he, he, he came up big. Mm-hmm. Northeastern does go up 
10 in the second half. I think with about 14 minutes to play, they were up 10. Again, I thought Charleston's defense was pretty solid, but this is another team that can really whip the ball around and really hit shots no matter how contested they are. CFC goes 2 for 11 to start the second half, so another one of those lulls, and very, very quickly, Northeastern can can put points on the board. What did you think was kind of the key for Charleston to come back in this one? Yeah, the key, I think, was that they limited them to one one shot in a possession. I mean, they had several possessions. Mm-hmm. They, they they made, they had rebounds, and, and they were 52-42 and with 11 minutes to go, and then they had made a run. Quick timeout, by, they called, the, made a six-point game, but then it didn't work out, and then then the, the turning point, I feel, is the Riller dunk, which tied the game. Let's talk about the Riller dunk because the man was on Sports Center for a second straight week. Which one did you like better? Did you like this dunk or the one at Drexel better? Yeah, I like this one better. I mean, it was just, <laughs> the way it electrified the crowd. I mean, it was I haven't seen it that loud in several seasons with how the everyone was jumping up and down. The ones that were there, there and they were all going berserk. Was trying to look up on the scoreboard to see what was going, what happened. I think I rewatched the clip a dozen times, and my favorite part is Cam Johnson on the sidelines losing his mind when Grant Riller puts that guy on the ground and then dunks on Pusicha. It was a thing of beauty. Yeah, it was. I mean, <laughs> and then I heard that the sports center they were calling it because you know you know how the Northeastern the big hockey they're talking about their hockey team, and then they saw the basketball and how very very impactful moment in this game and perhaps this season perhaps certainly a a big win for the cougars i thought i agree with you i think the defense down the stretch just like the officer game very very good especially one-on-one brantley and mcmanus in the post were really solid i thought all the threes that guys like brace and murphy and pusicha took were well contested Charleston hits a couple threes themselves. Riller hit one. You mentioned the one that Pointer hit, which was huge. And Charleston pulls away. And it was, again, very nice to at least take one game against the top two teams in the in the conference. Yeah, it was very important because Northeastern, I mean, they they had some games. They played James Madison this week. And uh, they have um, also they could make the North this trip to, I think, after, forget who they play after that, but then they play Delaware, and that's key because Delaware has had a pretty resurgent year, actually, for being where they fourth place. Yeah, yeah, fourth place, a couple games back of, of Charleston. And they, and they don't forget, Delaware won at Northeastern already. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. Last thing I'll mention about the Northeastern game, I want to go back to the bench again. Better performance from the bench, certainly not the same as the the performances we got from them. The last homestand, 12 bench points. Five of those come from McManus, who I thought had a solid game. Uh, he had some great energy on the boards, had six rebounds, uh, which was tied for second most on the team. But no points from Jasper. Jalen Rashard goes one for four from the field, hits, hits two free throws, which are basically a guarantee at this point. Jasper goes scoreless, and Sam Miller just three points. So especially Miller and Rashard, guys who seemed to be in a groove for a little while, seem to be hitting a bit of a wall. Yeah, especially also Harris didn't score any points at all. Yeah. 
and he only had one attempt. So that was a, they still found a way. I mean, Miller had 17 minutes and then and McManus 18, Broussard 13. So those were the guys on the bench that took a lot of the slack from not for Paris not having any points. I think in these in both these matchups, Hofstra and Northeastern, you need a mobile big man. So I feel like these are games for McManus, Brantley, and probably Miller. Uh, tougher matchup for Nick Harris to go out and guard guys on the perimeter. So I wish, you know, I, I wish we had seen a little bit more Miller against Hofstra. But no matter who you throw out there, uh, it's a, it's a tough defensive assignment. Yeah, definitely, definitely, especially with Kusika at six five, and then Brace and Gresham. They could all get threes. Brevin and Zepp sort of had the assignment on Pusicha this time around. I thought they mostly did a pretty good job. I know he got his points and he did his usual uh, conducting of the offense, but he had six turnovers. And I thought overall the defense was was pretty strong from both those two Cougars. Yep, especially they had 14, 14 turnovers in the game. CFC only had nine not in the game. That's pretty good for such a contested game, nine turnovers. I mean, they only had six assists, but they still found a way. Good ball security in both games by Charleston, which is great to see. Mm-hmm, that's correct. So let's talk updated CAA standings. Interesting part about this is Hofstra did go on to lose to UNC Wilmington on Saturday, which they could have run away with the conference. I, I, I still think they're locked in as the number one seed, but... Very interesting for Hofstra to lose to, what, a bottom three team in the conference? Yep, five and ten now, even with the win. Devontae Kaycock on his senior night. I don't. I, I guess he was just a, a man possessed, and the team rallied around him because that was certainly a surprising result on Saturday. Yes, it was. I mean, I was watching, like, the last few minutes of that game. I mean, he willed that team. I mean, he had, what, 18 points, 12 rebounds. He had a great end. I mean— because they needed that to avoid having, I mean, the app, people are already trying to get apathetic about McGrath, but that win was a huge yeah. jolt to their momentum. Good for the Seahawks. We'll, we'll give them props. Yeah. That, that means the top three teams this weekend all had a split. All, all three of those teams, Northeastern, Charleston, and Hofstra, all go one and one. So basically the standings are what they were last week in terms of difference in, in games between the top three teams. That's correct. The twelve and two Hofstra, ten and four Northeastern, ten and five CFC, then Delaware at eight and seven. Then you got a bunch of eight, nine, and ten loss teams. Right. There's still the muddled middle and the race to avoid the play-in games, but it seems like Charleston is going to be locked into the three seed, even though they beat Northeastern. Northeastern did beat Hofstra in Boston, so they have the tiebreaker, which would be. Well, the first tiebreaker is who wins the regular season matchups. Northeastern and Charleston split that, obviously. And then the next tiebreaker is wins against the top team in the CAA. So that would be Hofstra, and then Northeastern has the tiebreaker there. Charleston is a half game back of Northeastern. They still get their second bye week when they play UNCW in the last game of the season. But I'm, I'm thinking Charleston ends up third. What about you? Yeah, I think it's a pretty pretty safe perhaps assumption for them to be third. I mean... And to see who that who they draw in the first game is going to be very important because it'll be it'll probably determine good for them. 
Northeastern could still drop that Delaware game and maybe maybe another one and, and Charleston sneaks in to, to get the two seed. It would have to be a massive collapse for Hofstra to, to fall out of the one spot. That's basically a lock at this point. Northeastern's yeah. still a chance, but I think Charleston's not going to get caught by Delaware. No, because then the Delaware, yeah, they won both games against Delaware. So, I mean, basically in two games, and they still have three games. Delaware still has to play Hofstra and Northeastern. That's right. So, so it looks like a three seed for Charleston. I think that's about all we need to say about the updated standings. Anything else that, that stands out to you or anything like that? Uh, just every game in the tournament is going to be very interesting because, I mean, there's so there's not much, especially from four to ten, there's basically almost nothing that's separating any of the teams. So yeah. some interesting games down at the Coliseum. So next up, I want to talk about a topic that I believe you mentioned on Twitter for the first time, and it kind of became your, – your tweet sort of became a sounding board for other people in the CAA to, to talk about this. It is the TV contract – that the Colonial Athletic Association is currently in, or or maybe lack of TV mm. contract. Lack, yeah. I I first noticed this when someone posted where to catch all the conference tournaments, and it, it a lot of teams get ESPN, ESPN two, ESPNU, CBS, whatever. And is it only three teams have their conference championship game on CBS Sportsnet, or is it even less? I think it's three conferences. You have Patriot League, Conference USA, which has their, in, I think, in the Star in Frisco, Texas, and then the CAA. That seems like it's not a not a good draw for the CAA. No, because especially <laughs> CBSSN, I mean, they their online presence isn't much cracked up to be, and they have AAF games, but then people are, I saw online that new football league, and people are complaining about not being able to watch the football games online. And they did that with basketball already when we were in the championship game two years in a row on that network. To not have a streaming option in 2019 is extremely frustrating. I know I sound like a spoiled millennial, but I've cut the cable cord and have YouTube TV and a bunch of subscriptions. And I agree, it's incredibly frustrating to have that championship game on CBS Sportsnet. And it's not like it's going to be on any bars just that are switched to that channel. Yeah, like the only bars that have it are like sports bars that have all 40 and 50 televisions that show all the sports networks. And then trying to get it on, even in, in Charleston itself, I mean, most places just have ESPN on as their default sports channel. And they don't, most of them, some of them don't even get CBS Sports Network. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it begs the question what is the ideal? TV setup. I love that all the games are streamable for free on CAA.tv. I think the quality is good enough. I enjoy the app experience. I have Roku. I use that. I don't love College Sports Live, and I know other people have complained about it on, on the message boards and on social media. Don't have a problem with the broadcasting crew. I love Jeff McCarriger. I feel not like the me. streaming is not super high quality and that's frustrating yeah i saw the scoreboard there are people whining about the scoreboard because when half for a northeastern and mike foreman had a big that great shot and they had the clock counting down in hundreds of a second and on the sports center thread i saw on twitter when after that they posted that and people were joking about that 
and that was one of the main things that they're complaining about that uh yeah <laughs> it's so frustrating so cbs sports cbs sports network is not if that's if that's the best you're getting from on a tv deal that's not great and the caa seems like the best conference objectively out of those three that have have cbs sportsnet i so i actually um i proposed a question to richard deitch at the athletic on one of his live chats about what the ideal setup for a mid-major with with the ideal package for a mid-major is and i asked him specifically to compare a package like the ivy league where you it's all espn plus it's behind a paywall but there are certain intrinsic advantages to being on the ESPN platform, right? Like sports center coverage, for example, like it's just way more accessible versus a team, a conference like the CAA where you have all games are open and, and they're free, but your biggest games are not being shown on any sort of national sports programming network. Yep. That's correct. I mean, all the, all the different games that they have, the big South, I mean, see how and John and Clemens and John Morant, I mean, they have all ESPN league deals and see how much they've been promoted over the last few weeks. Do you think, would you rather have an ESPN plus deal and, and pay for that every month? I I already pay for it, but I mean, it's just so, um, then they have to show a few games like on even ESPN news or ESPN U, and then maybe show the yeah. championship like they used to on ESPN or ESPN two. And then other other teams have, I mean, I know Northeastern does the Nesson partnership for certain games, and Drexel did the NBC Sports Philly slash NBC Sports Washington package, but this feels like it, it falls on the conference to get the product out there. Yes, it definitely does. With all the different um, avenues people have now, and also the league is just getting the Tuesday night championship. I mean, it's only right, the, the Tuesday night, yeah. Big, big, big hurdle. I mean, some people don't go to the games or they don't travel because they know they have to take off two whole days in a week just to go to the championship game, sometimes three. So I think the only people watching CBS Sportsnet on a Tuesday would be anybody at a sports bar for trivia or Super John Rothstein fans is, is all I can think of. <laughs> and then Gary Parrish. It's like every time I flip on there or something, they, they're always on doing a studio <laughs> show. So pros, I love not having a paywall for regular season games and having an app to go along with it. I like the college sports live broadcasters. I like that they do multiple CAA games so they know the ins and outs of the conference and the various players in it. I do not like the championship game being on CBS Sportsnet or just the absolute lack of any national broadcasting for regular season games. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I mean, I heard the last year the announcers were pretty good, decent. I mean, I think they had Dave Ryan call him the championship. He was, he was good, but I mean, he hadn't done any CAA games all year and you could see, show how they had to prepare yep. in like a very short amount of time compared to what we had before. And then you had that when NBC had the package and you had, um, I think it was Mike Corey calling all the games and then he called the championship and he knew so much about the league back when they had the tournament in Baltimore. I'm jealous of the A-10 package on NBC Sports. Me too. I feel like that one's pretty good. <laughs> um, anything else on this rant about 
the CAA TV uh, deal. Businesses need to find something that's better, even if they get regular season games. I mean, you see regular season games from all these small little small leagues like the Ohio Valley and Northeast Conference, but the CAA can't get a even a, a game like a couple games a season on CBS Sports Network. It doesn't make sense for all these major markets in the league. I like Commissioner Joe. Let's see if he can. Uh, let's see if he can make a deal. We need it. Mm-hmm. Good players in the CAA that need that need press. Correct. Next up for Charleston is the road trip through William and Mary and Elon. William and Mary again. It is a place that the Cougars have never won a game. They have never won in Williamsburg. Elon is one of the doormat teams in the conference, but they're playing in a a brand new arena. I'm. They sort of have a, a regional rivalry with Charleston. That could be a tough game. Both those teams can hit threes, and if they're hitting like Hofstra and Northeastern did, it could be a long night for Charleston. Do you have any thoughts on uh, the next pair of games for Charleston? Yeah, William and Mary is always tough. Nathan Knight, especially. I mean, they they've had some some tough. They're only had ten, they're ten and sixteen, but it doesn't show in their game record. I mean, they played better over the last few games i mean this state had a tough a tough draw three straight road games and then they have these two home games coming up i mean this is their they're trying to get by so so cfc needs to key on nathan knight and pierce and all those guys and have a good outing try and get that first win in williamsburg that'd be sweet you could also give some separation in the caa all right joe it's been awesome talking to you i love talking cougar hoops with you either online or or when we see each other in person. As is tradition here, I like to give my guest the soapbox at the end of the show. What do you have going on? What do you want to talk to the people about? The floor is yours. Yeah, SCTV Man on Twitter. Also, Carolina Sports Thoughts, Bracketology at .wordpress.com. Also, with baseball season starting, CFC Baseball, Reno start on the rest of the season, and they have some good players and home this weekend, they play UConn, a pretty good series if you're not headed up to Elon and William & Mary. It's good, good to see some Cougar baseball and enjoy the warm weather we have here. Yeah, shout out Cougar baseball. We should uh, we should give them some props on a, on a 3-0 start. Last question for you, Joe. If the Cougars do make the tournament, let's say, let's say they lose to William & Mary but win out the rest of their games – and then win the, the CA tournament, what seed do you see them being? I see maybe 14, 13 at the very high, but probably 14 because, I mean, Hofstra, I mean, it's a top team, so they probably get more, more better from the selection committee, but 14 probably are going to be our seed if we make the tournament. We'll shoot for the 13. Joe, it's been a pleasure, man. We'll catch up with you on Twitter soon, I'm sure, but thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I had a load of fun. All right. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. You're welcome.